Welcome to Intercom Product. I'm once again joined by our Chief Product Officer, Paul. Hi. And today we're going to talk about manifestos and what they mean in product. So the core idea here is Intercom has been around for 11 Over years, decade, 12 yeah. years. And things we used to proclaim about the future have over the course of those years turned true. And as a result, we need new shit to say. So that's what we're talking about today. Let's start off with this kind of idea of like the manifesto itself. What is a, a product manifesto to you? Yeah, it's an interesting question because people talk about visions and missions and manifestos and goals. And There's a know, lot of words. Yeah. A lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. For me, a manifesto is really powerful. And the manifesto, as opposed to a vision, is a set of things you believe about the future yeah. and things you think will come to pass. Yeah. And you may have a role in, in helping them come to pass, of course. Yeah. But just things you believe. You can see trends. Just, they're possibly independent things as well. Like, you, you know, you don't have to act on all of them. They, don't, they can happen independently of each other. One of them doesn't cause the other. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I think that's why they're different to a vision. A vision yeah. for me is something that's really concrete, like a coherent yeah. consistency and coherency matter in a vision. Yeah. Oh, that's how our product will look like in five yeah. years, 10 years. Yeah. Whereas with a manifesto, it's like we believe X and we believe Y. We're going to enact those things, but they don't necessarily come together. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the TBD. You've been at Intercom about 10 years. When you joined from Facebook, one of the things you did early on in our old office was you put up these like posters that just declared certain aspects of what you saw to be happening. Like one was like all businesses will become internet businesses. Another one was like that the future of customer service will look more like the past than say the present, i.e. it'll look more uh, relationship-based and less transactional-based or whatever. You got that idea, I assume, from, from Facebook. Is that right? Yeah, when I was at Facebook, again, we're going back 10 years and 10 years when I left. So it's kind of there, you know, 2010, uh, 2011, 12 kind of time frame. And Facebook at the time was very, very different than it was today, much smaller and there was a really clear sense of purpose in the company at the time, really, really clear. You know, Zuck and the leadership team were fully promoting the idea that the world would be better if it was connected. Yeah. So connecting people means that you connect ideas. Mm-hmm. And when you connect different ideas together, you get this kind of one-on-one yeah. one equals three dynamic. And so I mean, obviously like things play out there in all sorts of different ways, yeah. but the ideas at the time were core. Everyone believed in them. It was exciting. And Facebook did a fantastic job at the time of creating beautiful artifacts for the walls, quoting things that people like Marshall McLuhan, you know, yeah, really, really yeah. inspiring stuff that brought that to life. And then when you came to us, like we kind of created like a set of what we, you know, believed would be like the things that would happen over the next few years. What were some of them? Yeah, back then, again, like you said, you got to remember like your three years after the iPhone release here. But back then, things, things you mentioned, one was that this belief that the future is going to look much more relationship-based. So, you know, if you look at the kind of commerce going back decades, if not hundreds of years, all commerce is relationship-based. And at that time, things like Google Analytics were in vogue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, great tool, but not relationship-based, very yeah. transactional tool, analytical tool. And it just seemed to me and other people at the time, Facebook included, in, in fact, that the future would look much more like the past, i.e. Yeah. relationship-based. Yeah. And this Google Analytics era was a, you know, temporary kind of moment yeah. and software would catch up with humanity, right. which I think is what we've seen come to pass. And so yeah. it's now really not controversial to say that you think business will be relationship-based. Yeah, yeah. Or like uh, the relationship you have with an online product like will actually matter. Like, and you've seen the role of like customer success and folks like that, like relationship managers and all that kind of like become dominant in a lot of like say our industry and even in B2C, you see versions of it. What about communication? We also, we at the time, we were seeing the rise of messaging, right? Yeah. Yeah. So back then, you know, I think it was the exact same year that Intercom was founded. We had uh, WhatsApp 
was founded, iMass iMessage came out, yeah. uh, Line, uh, you know, so Facebook Messenger, Facebook think, Messenger, yeah, Snapchat, maybe. Yeah, and I think yeah. it was. There's definitely a connection there. I think with the iPhone and you know, yeah. just suddenly now people had this thing in their pockets they could message each other. Yeah, but messaging was the thing, and yeah. and again, probably I was influenced pretty heavily by Facebook. Facebook were betting on messaging as a future, mm-hmm. and so when I came to Intercom, it made sense to think, hey, well, business messaging is the future too. Yeah. yeah, and again, that's no longer controversial. Like, look at Apple Business Chat. You know, everyone's yeah, getting WhatsApp, in, for WhatsApp for business. Everyone's yeah past the point of yeah. believing that that's the, that's the future and hence us needing new opinions yeah. is, uh, is important. Uh, yeah. So like, that's what I was going to ask. Like, so obviously you can have all these opinions, but opinions do kind of naturally expire. Sometimes they're, they expire because they're wrong. Like, is yeah. it, no one's talking about like gamification or whatever anymore, right? Or web tree for that matter. And then other times they expire because I think they become not unique. Like they just become like woven into the fabric of the internet. Mm-hmm. And then a third reason I think they can expire is like, technology moves on in a sense you know like you know let's say you had an expense tracking app before the iphone was launched and then the iphone comes out with an app store and a camera and all of a sudden you can expense something by taking a photo of the receipt like if you're in the expense tracking category your entire world has changed everything your entire product roadmap should just get thrown out because the capabilities are groundbreakingly different to what they were a couple weeks ago or whatever so in in those categories like if if they expire because they're wrong i don't think it's you know i think it's reasonable to say we weren't wrong they expire because they're just being woven into the fabric of the internet as in they're just generally accepted opinions, kind of commoditized almost in a sense as an mm-hmm. opinion. Or like you've seen like just massive technological advancement. What happened to like our original ideas? Yeah, I think all, all of those actually in different ways. So things like, like I mentioned, messaging, okay, just mm-hmm. that just be, you know, the technology evolved, society yeah. evolved, messaging is the thing. Messaging is yeah. the future. I think no one really can test that. Yeah. At the same time though, another opinion we had at the time that I think we were wrong about yeah. was that I think we underplayed the importance of other channels. Yeah. So, you know, we thought meshing would like replace email or like mm-hmm. replace phone or, you know, then the new types of channels came in like WhatsApp for business and so on. So I think we've come to realize that the future looks omni-channel, mm-hmm. whereas in the past, you might've said it was very messaging yeah, yeah. heavy. Yeah. Uh, we, I still think for what it's worth, meshing will be the dominant channel in the mm-hmm. future. But omnichannel will be the thing. Yeah. And so some of them did expire. Yeah. I think some of them were right on messaging. Yeah. And then society has changed and yeah. society keeps changing. Yeah. And so So expectations of like what people want out of their businesses. Absolutely. Is yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So even like 10 years ago, you know, 10 years ago, all the apps on your phone were not like brilliant, beautifully designed apps, right? Yeah. They were like first versions yeah. of everything, clunky. Whereas nowadays, anyone who interacts to any business opens their phone. Like they've got yeah. Google Maps, Uber, yeah, yeah. like the, all these apps are beautifully designed, really yeah. well built, architected, fast, seamless. Yeah. And so their expectations of business software increasingly is just should, yeah. should be the same. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's definitely evolved pretty significantly since we started. And then the other sort of substantial, I mean, maybe this is too uh, recent a thing for us to quantify how big it'll be, but like the advancement of AI automation, et cetera. It's obviously you know, presented a lot more opportunities for rip waves in the industry, you might say. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I always think, is AI overhyped right now? Maybe. I tend to believe that it's going to have, you know, foundational impact on so much of just yeah. general life. It might be a little bit overhyped at the minute, but this is where, like, I come back to the idea of... The awkward to see those two things. It's going to have a foundational impact on life, and it's also overhyped. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can hype it up more. Yeah, exactly. People do, people have. Yeah. So I think the, the big thing for me is, does the world happen to you, or do you happen to the world? And literally, like, I think for lots and lots of businesses, in the last three to six weeks, maybe maybe a bit longer, maybe back yeah. to when OpenAI launched ChatGPT, 
So then we realized, oh my God, this technology is A, pretty transformational Mm -hmm. and B, accessible. And so suddenly, if you're not on top of this, the world's happening to you. And I think if the world's happening to you, you need to like get a manifesto, Mm -hmm. get like on the front foot and start to make your products so that you're happening to the world. The other thing that changed for us is obviously late last year, we made a decision to kind of go all in on this area of customer service and that kind of, even if the other tectonic shifts hadn't happened, that would have forced us to have a kind of a, a reset of like, what are we doing again? Like, you know, like what's the next 10 years look like or whatever. Right? And to that end, like where to from here? Like, so what's your belief about the future customer service? Yeah, I think it's, again, these are, this is going to sound big. I, I really believe these things to be true. The thing I was going to say that sounds big is I think customer service is undergoing a generational change, as in once a generation change. And AI is certainly going to play a big role in something in the future. But even prior to that kind of AI breakthrough we've seen in the last few months, even prior to that, you know, you and I have talked a lot about how customer expectations have changed, technology has changed, and customers expect a lot more of businesses and channels have changed. So the idea that you would like email in a ticket and it would take a while and there'd be this very asynchronous, slow moving back and forth. Customers are like way beyond that now. Mm-hmm. You know, they expect a now economy because they have it elsewhere. Like if Amazon can ship you something overnight or in an hour, why can't the business get back to me in that, in that same time frame? Whether it's via automation, bots, people. So expectations have changed. So I think it's a generational change. And it's, I think it's an exciting one. I think it's actually going to be better for businesses and customers when we get through it. Whenever people talk about generational changes, or even honestly, when like ChatGPT launched, my kind of go-to question I've always said is like, you know, no matter what the technology, no matter what the societal breakthrough, even I always say like, does this make it like cheaper, faster, easier, more accessible to use this technology? Can you use it more? Can you use it in more places? Will you use it more often? But whenever you're trying to like bring it back to software, I, I always come back to those types of questions because I think like ultimately like the jobs customers are trying to do rarely change. Just the way in which they do them is what changes an awful lot. So most businesses want to support their customers by giving them like high quality, fast replies, uh, address their issue, and ultimately like you know render the customer at least neutral, if not happier, as a result of contacting them or whatever. What are the changes you're seeing? Like, If you were to try and break this down, like this generational shift, what does it look like? I think it looks like a few things. Again, like I said, which will be better for businesses and for customers. I think it will look like speed. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be faster for customers and faster for businesses. Yeah. That'll be through automation. Like we've had automation for a while in customer service. You've got rules and then we've got like efficiency improvements, like macros yeah. and things like that. And some things can trigger other things. I think it's like a whole new generation of technology that will make it extremely fast. So you'll have like immediate answers from bots. Sometimes, oftentimes, they'll actually deliver you the answer right there and then. Mm -hmm. Better for the customer in most cases. Like when you go and do customer research, a lot of customers aren't really hoping they get to talk to a person that works for the company, right? They just want the answer. And for the business, it's like just way more efficient. They don't, again, if you talk to a customer service rep, they're not saying, I love answering the same question over and over and over again every day. Right, so it's like win-win, and so it look like speed. The quality of the experience will improve because of the speed, and then it'll just be cheaper. Mm-hmm. It'll be like a lot more operationally efficient for the business, and so that'll like reduce costs. It means mm-hmm. they can serve more customers with fewer people. Mm-hmm. It means that the people who are working in the customer service team get to do different things, mm-hmm. not just answer the same thing over and over again. But they start to design the bot experiences. Yeah. They start to work on harder problems. Yeah. They start to work on building relationships with those more important customers and so on. So let us get into it then. What do we believe about the next 10 years? 
Yeah, so our manifesto, we have a new manifesto, like you said, pretty excited about it. And there's four parts to the manifesto. So I can maybe say the four and then we can dive into them. The first part of the manifesto is automation and humans. So we believe that the future is both automation, which is a combination of bots, AI, but then also rules that kind of, you know, kind of automation on the human side, of course, but automation will be a huge part of it and humans, i.e. human support, people talking to people. And the and there is really important because we actually believe one of the biggest things here is the bridge between the two, that when the automation side doesn't have the answer, which will happen, they will seamlessly hand off to people. Then that's a kind of an end-to-end experience that you can design and orchestrate. So that's like a big part of it for us. That's number one, automation and humans. Number two is proactive and reactive. So the history of customer service is reactive, which is oftentimes business is trying to manage workload, incoming volume, just trying to manage it, manage it as efficiently as possible, put people in a queue, deflection, all that kind of stuff. We think the future looks like proactive service as well as reactive. And again, these things will work in combination with each other. Proactive meaning that you predict what customers are going to ask based on what's going on and all the data you have, and then give them the answers before they've asked a question. And so that's uh, number two. Three is conversational and omnichannel. So we talked a lot about this already. Conversational being messaging as this kind of primary channel of customer service. Omnichannel meaning it's not the only channel. Sometimes phone is the best. Sometimes email is the best still. And sometimes there's kind of back office ticketing requirements where some, a question has to go through an, an org and a team and so on. So we believe both of those things. But again, we think it would be conversational first or conversational led with all the other channels and they all again work together to and their conversational and omni-channel. And then the last thing is a single seamless platform. So we believe that today you have a lot of customer service tools that are quite siloed and there's like, you know, pretty complicated integrations to get them to work together, APIs and all sorts of stuff like that. We believe that the future solution will be a single seamless channel that can do the top three things above. It just will create a much better, faster customer experience. Automation, which includes AI alongside humans, this idea that the, the future will be both like automated and will involve human service as well. What is our thinking there? Yeah, our thinking at the highest level, our thinking is that the vast majority of customer questions in the future will be answered without needing a human. Right. That's number one. So the vast majority. The second part of it is that sometimes you won't be able to do that whether it's just done with the information or, you know, technically impossible, or it's preferred to talk to mm-hmm. a human. So the business actually wants to. So like yeah. Des, VIP, you mm-hmm. always get to talk to a person, even if it's less efficient for us, because mm-hmm. lots of different things they want to do there. So automation and human is, yeah, they work together. There's this idea, I think in AI, that like an augmented machine, like is it a human plus a machine is better than a machine, which in turn is better than a human. I think that's like what I see in this world of support. I think, you'll have humans ultimately controlling the sort of the intelligence that the AI works off. So, you know, I I see a future where like the customer support team is answering every question for the first time and the last time in parallel. First meaning it's the first time the AI didn't spot it so it couldn't configure it. And last meaning that once the customers, sorry, once the support representative is finished actually replying, the AI might pop up and be like, yo, uh, we hadn't heard that question before. Am I right in saying that we don't charge for that? And you say, that's correct. And then it says, okay. And that kind of goes into its own intelligence such that you'll never see that question again. Yeah, I think I, I like that idea of like the support team being like the team of like first and last, which I, I think it gets really powerful because I think that lets the support org take a step up the value chain to being actually in control of the entire set of like business intelligence in a sense. 
the other side of it, I was interested when you refer to me as like a, a VIP, which is obviously correct, but there is a world where the customer's desires and the business's desires might actually be slightly at odds. And it'll be mm. interesting to see how we have to design for that. In practice, we'll probably end up having to like follow whatever the business prefers. But you can imagine a world where like, I actually don't want the artisanal hand type to reply. I just want the answer. Whereas the business might be like, oh, this is our one chance to talk to Des. We should take this opportunity to see if we can upsell him or her or whatever. You, know, yep. you can imagine like, that the goals might be at odds. But even implicit in that, like treat our VIPs with human service thing, is an assumption that human service is better. And I think it's not that it's, it's not like guaranteed to be better. It's definitely better in some queries and worse than other queries. Like, you know, if it was a race of like, who can explain how to reset your password quicker, the bot's going to win. Mm-hmm. If it's a challenge to deal with an emotionally loaded situation regarding like a late flight and missed luggage or whatever, then the chances are like the human's going to win by a substantial margin, right? Yeah. So I think it's for that reason we want them both together. Yeah, and it'll differ from business to business too. Yeah. Like one thing that we hear consistently when we talk to customers, and so our customers and their customers, consistent patterns. One is uh, most customers don't care. Yeah, they just mm-hmm. want the answer. They don't, yeah. They're not looking for the bespoke artisanal. They're just like, yeah. how do I reset my password? What happened to X? How do I do Y? Mm-hmm. And in-product help is often the best way to do that. And that's they're delighted. And you know, yeah. hence, better satisfaction, better engagement, et cetera. But the business sometimes, and increasingly in this automated world, businesses want to differentiate on human service. Mm-hmm. In other words, hey, with us, you get the human service. And I think some businesses want to do it a lot more than others, depending on their business model. But sometimes there'll be, like you said, a mismatch there. The customers don't value that. And yeah. I think we're, we're, just, we're just going to have to work this out. And people yeah. will learn as they try. Yeah. And they'll start hearing from customers, hey, thanks for talking to me. But I really would have like, preferred to the bots quicker. Yeah, yeah, the yeah bots totally. Quicker, so. And I think that, honestly, one of the biggest advancements that ChatGPT might have actually caused is just the societal level acceptance as bots as being useful in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Whereas historically, the chatbot was like always seen as a, a, at least a second or third class citizen in a sense. And now I see it actually taking a step up the chain itself. Yeah. And so a big thing here, I think, is businesses want to build relationships with customers. And the, you know, I guess like known best way to do that is to talk to people mm-hmm. and actually build a bespoke relationship as best you can with people to people. And I think they see, a lot of people see bots, especially an AI as transactional mm-hmm. and not relationship building. And I think that will change. Yeah. You know, I think you'll see this like augment, these augmented experiences and actually the bots will actually, you know, and sometimes, especially in the future when the bot talks in the brand of the yeah. company and the tone of the company and they actually almost yeah. feel like part of the brand. The second piece is this idea of proactive and reactive. And the reason this really resonates with me is like my first job, believe it or not, was in a gas station. And I remember one day some customer was complaining about something like the car wash wasn't working or whatever. And the manager came out and the first thing he said was, thank you. He was so like effusive in his thanks for the complaint. And I was like, what's going on there? The dude's like chatting a lot of shit and you're here saying thanks. And he was like, he said, Des, like most people don't complain. He's like, that guy told me the car wash wasn't working. I probably like, for everyone who comes in and says that, eight other people just drive off. We're going to fix the car, we're going to sell a lot more stuff. And he was like, whenever you see those things go wrong, always get out ahead of them. If you see someone struggling, always get in there because you're going to cost me a business opportunity otherwise. And that like, to me, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that like, you know, 25 years later, I'd be sitting here talking about proactive support for sure. <laughs> but that idea sticks, right? If you have a reactive only support strategy, you're just waiting for people to notice that something goes wrong care that something goes wrong and contact you that something's gone wrong. And it's definitely a subset of the people who would have used the feature, who would have bought the product that you're actually going to get to address. Mm -hmm. If you have a proactive support strategy, 
instead of waiting for things to go wrong, you ensure everything goes right. We used to say it's like the difference between like preventative medicine versus the emergency room, right? Yep. You get out ahead of the problem. I think I've said everything that's worth saying about this, but I'll hand over to you now. <laughs> well, I have more to say, always, always. <laughs> Go for it. Well, just as you're talking there, it made me think that proactive and reactive service is a bit like an iceberg, you know, where the support team who are under pressure and like, mm-hmm. you know, customer service teams are really under pressure these days. They see the top of the iceberg, the visible part. So that's all the stuff mm-hmm. that you get. But um, what they don't see is like the invisible part of the iceberg, which is all the people leaving without asking, like mm-hmm. all the things you just said. So don't repeat them. And they're actually the, the opportunity much yeah. more, you know, and yeah. the business opportunity. So we think that by building tools, people can be proactive. They can recognize all these things, like under the sea line iceberg to keep going yeah. with that. And they could recognize them all and actually start dealing with them ahead of time. Yeah. The other thing that I was going to mention is, I think a lot of times in technology, there's these like before and after moments. ChatGPT was one of them, right? You just, before you didn't think about it much, you use it, then suddenly your world has changed. I think like, you know, going back, we're old enough to think about times like you're using Wikipedia for the first time. Like just mind blowing. Oh yeah. my God. Or, you know, you use Google search for the first time. And I think one of the times that I was first kind of drawn into this world of like proactive service or like answering questions before you've asked them is Google search, where it used to be the case you type in Google search, yeah. nothing would happen. You hit the search button yeah. and then it comes back. It's reactive. And suddenly one day I start typing in Google and stuff starts going down. The below. Complete look ahead oh my yeah. God. I was yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. But like, okay, now we're like in this whole new world of yeah. like, it's still reacting, but yeah. it's much more proactive. Yeah, it's guiding like, you to a better outcome, right? Basically. Totally, yeah. totally. And, that, and now we're in a world where, like, you open up Google search today and there's already stuff there. Yeah. It's like the weather in your location and, like, it's already, you know, there's things yeah. that you search for in news articles. I get loads of random football things, you yeah. know, because I think I've come here, and oftentimes I have, to, like, ask yeah. these questions. It's one of those ones where when we talk about proactive support in the sense of customer support, it feels quite new and hot or whatever, but... The actual world is like a museum of proactive support examples. Like mm-hmm. walk onto the courtyard of a car dealership or walk into the front door of a hotel or walk into a restaurant and stand around long enough or stand still in an Apple store for like seven seconds. You're seeing proactive support everywhere. People yeah. are like, how can I help you? Clearly, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> clearly you need some help, right? You yeah. know, if you stand scratching your head in front of a television in an electrical store or whatever, like and people yeah. are like, oh, this dude probably wants to buy a television probably has no rashers how to think about that. And I'm going to come in and help, you know, yeah. that's like the world is just literally full of it. It's just something that we, because the translation layer is you have to imagine the equivalent of that inside a product, yeah. which looks like things like someone hovering their mouse over a button that says merge. And they're like, what does this merge? Yeah. And the reality is proactive support looks like things like a, a tooltip that pops up and says merge will combine the two products or projects or like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the appropriate thing is in this hypothetical product. Other versions of it are like, let's just say a banner to tell you your credit card's about to expire, a pop-up to tell you about a new fe- feature you haven't used, yep. a checklist to tell you about the stuff you haven't done yet. They're all examples of like what we would consider like proactive support to help you ultimately get to the best outcome. It's a new type of like, it's a new stance, I guess, for software to have. Mm-hmm. But I think it's inevitable just given how the rest of the world works. I think so too. I think the hotel example is brilliant because some people might say, well, there's a lot of that is sales, not service, you know. And again, the, but these two worlds are yeah. you know, very, very interconnected. But the hotel one's great because you, you're already spending the night there, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then, and, and so that's really is true proactive support. So I think it's also going to be really big in the future, bigger than we realize today. One thing holding it back when we talk to kind of a lot of people in the customer support teams, one thing holding it back is they all say, we don't have permission to send messages. Mm-hmm. So like who puts the banner live, typically marketing or, you know. I think that all of that world is blurring together 
one thing that we've seen, you know, back to the manifesto, one thing we've seen happen over the last decade is teams are blurring boundaries. So it used to be the case 10, 20 years ago, sales, marketing, support, they're quite siloed, yeah. transactional, marketing hands leads to sales, et cetera. Yeah. These days, they're blended. You've teams like success, growth, yeah. product team are in there too. Yeah. And so I think it's going to be become the norm that a lot more customer service departments will either have success teams within them who send out by messages yeah. or they'll just start doing it themselves in all sorts yeah. of different ways. And I think the idea of like all support being sales is like very true especially in a world like this subscription economy that we're in, where like if you're supporting somebody on like day 14 of a 15-day trial, you're also selling them. If you do yeah. bad support, they don't buy. If you do great support, they do buy. How is that not like a huge part of the sales role? You know, so I think we will see that that sort of blurring of the lines. Because it is true, like if somebody's struggling to use a feature, even if they're an advanced user on year two and you launch this big new fancy feature and they're struggling to use it, you're either selling them to use that feature if you can be proactively supporting them, or you're ignoring them and letting them not use that feature and thus like kind of like have less engagement than they could have had or done is the optimal level with your the actual product you've built. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot here. It's, it's to me, of the areas in the manifesto, it's the one that is going to be most emergent. I think AI is really obviously going to run, whereas I think this is one that it'll be a combination of us making it happen and showcasing examples of where it actually really does transform a business. Yeah. The third area is this idea of conversational combined with like omnichannel. Could you say more about that? Yeah. So maybe if we go back to the start again, people talk to each other, communicate with each other in all sorts of different ways, messaging, phone, email, right? There's all, a ton of different ways to communicate. And the big change we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, especially with smartphones, the iPhone, Android now, obviously commonplace in everyone's pocket, is the emergence of messaging. And messaging taken over as the dominant way our species communicate, which is mm-hmm. kind of nuts. Like we kind of forget about it a bit, but like it's actually nuts that in the last seven, eight years, yeah. messaging is now the dominant way humanity communicates. So it's going to happen to business. It's already happening in business. It starts with live chat. People go, hey, we need live chat on our site, which is basically messaging. And now it's, you know, these things, these messages can do much more than chat. And so it's taking over. That said, sometimes better channels are important too. And sometimes they're better. Sometimes you need to get on the phone. Sometimes, you know, if someone isn't available for a message or something's happening, you know, email can be better. Or if something has to go through a back-end system that's email-heavy, email sometimes can be the best channel. So yeah. these will persist, but it will very much be conversational and messaging first. I think like there's probably some Marshall McLuhan type theory that says like new messaging channels, they don't like they don't kill off other ones. They just kind of sit on top of them in a sense. And now like I think like you can have an SMS conversation with somebody, but if but if it's gonna get more formal, like even with friends, like when they invite you to their wedding, that's an email, it's not mm-hmm. a WhatsApp, you know what yeah. I mean? And then, and then if it, when, it, when the wedding invite gets real, as in they're definitely going to get married, it turns into an actual written form, you know, like yeah. it's almost you have this like spectrum or hierarchy of like formality. Then you also have this other thing about like urgency and emotion, I think is when people reach for the phone. Mm-hmm. It's like this thing is blowing up. We need to talk. We need to actually use, use more than like words. We need to like use intonation or, you know, whatever, sympathetic tones. Yeah. So you do like no shit, like humans communicate in multimodal ways and a support tool to allow the richness of human communication needs to be multimodal too. I think one thing there is people who kind of, you know, talk about different communication channels and how people use one or the other, prefer one or the other. Talk about, I'll talk about bandwidth. So like how, how wide is the band of communication? So this face-to-face is like highest bandwidth. Yeah. You're getting everything. You're getting what I'm saying, what I'm doing, yeah. my gestures, yeah. expressions, what I'm not saying. Eye rolls, the whole lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Looking out the window. <laughs> everything. Phone is the next closest to that. Because yeah. you're getting like full bandwidth really fast. But people can like, you know, speak yeah. fast. And you're getting the motion. You're getting all sorts of stuff rolled in there. So yeah. 
Whereas, you know, messaging can be lower bandwidth, but messaging is way more flexible. Mm-hmm. So people can message anywhere. They can yeah. be in a like, quiet place, a loud place. Yeah, they, yeah. You know, it works everywhere. So it's kind of yeah. like... One to many works better. Like you can't have a five-person phone call. You can't have a five-person group chat, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then lastly is like, it's almost a more technical idea, but this belief that all these things need to be like this idea of automation plus human, proactive and reactive, conversational and omnichannel. The idea that it all needs to be connected by a single platform. Like, convince me that's not just a, like a, a wallet play. Like, we want all the, we don't want to sell you everything. There is a reason why these things are better together and ultimately kind of broken when they're apart. Yeah. I think the thing that I come back to about the manifesto that I love is the and between each of the first three. It's automation and human, yeah. you know, proactive and reactive, conversation and omnichannel. I think to do that well, you need orchestration. Another, another big theme, I think we mentioned earlier, customer service teams' roles will change. Mm-hmm. Orchestration, I think, is going to be a huge new emergent job in customer service teams. So you, know, you have things like a conversation designer. Like people are orchestrating, like when do the bots fire, when do they not, how do they hand off to a human, how do we teach the thing to get better, all that kind of stuff. So orchestration is going to be really big. And to do orchestration really well, you kind of need the things in the one tool. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have like one support tool that does automation only, but then hands off via APIs, webhooks, all sorts of data integrations to some other human only tool, mm-hmm. it's just going to be really hard to like nicely orchestrate that experience. And then you can buy a third tool that does proactive messaging. Yeah. Suddenly like the proactive thing, which is hard to do, it's new to everyone. You're now trying to figure out how do we not over message people or oh, are we going to be yeah. messaging a person who's actually just had a really angry phone conversation yeah, yeah. it's just really hard to orchestrate it. there's also a lot of like generally speaking when you when you want to like put things on the same platform it's because they either share data or they share content or they share common workflows and i think all things are true here like so you mm-hmm. you're ultimately you want to have as few customer records as possible right every SaaS platform out there is like we're the single record of truth but in general you certainly don't want to have like multiple conflicting records which which would be the case if you end up with like the outbound tool, the support tool, the phone tool, the email tool, you know, it, it's going to be a mess. So you, ultimately they do share a lot of data. They also share a lot of content, which is like when you're explaining how a feature works, that explanation should also be in the tooltip that's beside it. It should be in the knowledge base. It should be in the bot. It should be like, you know, how the bot answers you, whatever. So you need to move towards this convergence and like ultimately like less copies of the same data, if you like. And then like the actual workflows, as you said, like, a bot handing off to a human is something that only is going to be very hard to do if you're going to rely on the hijinks of like API calls back and forth. To be clear, technically possible, practically infeasible is my experience of a lot of these tools where like, you know, where you've like your AI bot hands over to a human supporting who looks up a knowledge base somewhere else who then jumps on a phone call pair with something else. It just like, yes, it can work in the sense that everything can in theory be connected, but like in practice, most the people selling that generally tend to have a lot of botched installs is how I how I sort of see it. I think, yeah, I agree. I, honestly, though, you know, to give it its best hearing, even if it's all really well set up, they're still clunky. Yeah. There's still latency and delays between the things. Tab switching, all that Tab shit. switching. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, going back to one of the earliest things we said, that customer expectations of service are changing and they now expect service to be immediate, high quality, just as good as Google Maps and all the other cool stuff on their phone and the messaging apps that they have. People are just going to get upset, annoyed, frustrated, mm-hmm. lower satisfaction, lower engagement. I think it's just the clunkiness will will lead to, to lead to that. And then lastly, I think the other benefit is, as you know, as a product uh, has many stakeholders in a business like sales and support and growth, whatever, 
it's easier if you don't have to like multiply everything by like seven to give everyone like, you know, seven different logins. So they can be like, hang on, best to jump on a call with this customer. What's the last thing that we said? To, you know, mm-hmm. it can be quite messy if, uh, if you're kind of spread that across a proliferation of tools. Yeah. And that's ultimately why we think a single seamless platform. So, so that's it. That's our customer service manifesto. And hopefully we'll be able to use that for a few years to come. But who knows? It's technology. <laughs> yeah. Things change fast. That's right. Cool. Thanks for joining me, Paul. Yeah, likewise. Cool. It was fun. This is Intercom on Product.